Welcome to In Loving Recollection. This is your pal, Brent. When I think of all the places that I could have been from, you know, in a sort of existential kind of way, it really feels like it was fate that I'd be from Noonan, Georgia. Like some strange cosmic force intervened to make this all happen. I have no generational roots to the place. I could have potentially been from somewhere else. But everything was seemingly set in motion some years before my existence to ensure that Noonan would be where I'm from. Now the area of Noonan in which I grew up was just east of the city's limits and had been mostly rural up into the 1970s. That's when developers came in and attempted to create a planned city with the proposed name of Shenandoah. The planned city never really materialized, though the developers did manage to complete some new neighborhoods, as well as build a solar-powered indoor ice skating rink, which didn't last and would eventually become, some years later, a Baptist church. But the new neighborhoods did take, and due to its fairly close proximity to Atlanta, by the mid-80s, Noonan had really become just your typical small suburban town, probably not all that dissimilar from any other place considered a suburb of a major U.S. city. My parents ended up in Noonan essentially for work. They had intended to make their home and raise their future family in my dad's hometown of LaGrange, located in the county over from Noonan's. But when my dad got a job working in Atlanta and my mom's office moved from LaGrange to Noonan, into the same building that once housed the solar-powered ice skating rink, my parents decided to make the move as well. I sometimes wonder if the initial vision of the planned city that built my neighborhood had not existed the decade before my birth and the area had remained rural. Would my parents have even moved? Would there have even been a space for them to do so? And since the building that my mom's office moved into was also part of the developer's original vision, without its existence, maybe her job would have moved somewhere else or just stayed in LaGrange. Maybe I would have grown up there or not have even been born. Maybe my whole existence hinges on my parents settling in Noonan. I mean, when I think about the fact that I even exist, I always think to myself, what are the chances? When my parents made me, I was competing with millions of other potential humans. And yet I was the first to get to the egg. I can't help but feel like fate was involved. I get this feeling a lot, and not just on matters of existence. I've had a number of experiences throughout my life where I felt that things were a little too coincidental, a little too connected for fate to have not played a role. I definitely feel this way when I think about how the record Dirt Yard Street by the Atlanta songwriter Clay Harper was able to find its way to me. This all occurred in the fall of 2020. My family and I had gone to meet up with some of my wife's family in Atlanta. This was the point during the pandemic in which things were starting to slowly reopen. I thought that since I was nearby, I would take the opportunity to go to my favorite record store, Wuxtree Records in Decatur. My oldest had just recently started collecting records, so he was into the idea of going as well. 
While there, I found a copy of the Kinks Preservation Act I, a truly underrated record which contains the track Sweet Lady Genevieve, which to me is worth the price of admission alone. I thought this would be a good record for my son to have in his collection. When we went up to pay for it, there was this guy talking with the owner who noticed what we were buying. He said that he loved the kinks, and because he appreciated my son's purchase, he told the owner to throw in a copy of his record, Dirt Yard Street, for free. And though I had no idea who Clay Harper was, we gladly accepted it. I mean, a free record is a free record, and my son was trying to build a collection, so I thought, why not? So we met back up with the rest of the family to eat dinner at La Fonda Latina, one of my favorite restaurants in Atlanta. At some point during dinner, I decided to look up who Clay Harper was, just out of curiosity. And it was then that I discovered that he was the lead singer of the Atlanta band The Coolies, which I had heard of, but also that he was the founder of both Fellini's Pizza and La Fonda Latina. I thought that that was a pretty weird coincidence. But then, after further research, I also discovered that he had spent his teenage years in Noonan. With all these connections and the way in which it came to me, it just felt like fate. Like I was meant to hear this album. So when I got home to Noonan, I put on Clay Harper's Dirt Yard Street, and I listened. This is the story of that record. I'm Clay Harper. I uh, wrote and produced Dirt Yard Street and sung on it. Sweet girl, you hold me tight. produced Dirt Yard Street, mostly in my house in Atlanta, Georgia, accompanied by my friends and Atlanta brethren, Tom Gray, rest in peace, Chris Case, Jordan Diane, Keith Joyner, Anna Balka, and a lot of people that contributed that didn't know they contributed. Singer-songwriter Clay Harper would spend the earliest years of his childhood in the Philadelphia area before moving with his family to Georgia. I was born in Knoxville, Tennessee, and we moved to outside Philadelphia when I was seven. And then when I was like 13, we moved to Carrollton, Georgia, and then to Noonan after about a year or so. We were in sort of this, I mean, it was like TV show. I had a paper route. We lived in a big green area. I caddied at the golf course. I was in junior high school and all that. Everything was you know, like a soap commercial. It's called Mainline. You know, it's, it's meant to be a, a very rich 
area, but we weren't very rich. But, uh, you know, you had all the amenities of Philadelphia, and then you had this little bedroom community of overprivileged people. I think my father was insane. I, I, I mean, he definitely was insane, but all of a sudden it was just like, we're going. And he was from the South. He grew up in Atlanta, and he just wanted to go back South again. So we moved to, like, this sort of rough area of Carrollton, Georgia in a rental house, you know, sharing a bedroom with my brothers. And and it was kind of a hot, mean experience that I associate with really rough pavement and dangerous little redneck kids. So, yeah, it was a bit of a shock. It is while still living in Pennsylvania that Harper's interest in music would begin to grow. My earliest musical memory maybe would be running down the hallway in Philadelphia to get my brother because Sugar Sugar was on the radio. And then it was walking to the the record store and and buying a Beatles record, Let It Be or something, and, uh, and running home and listening to it. My brother is two years older than me. He's a musician. So we would listen endlessly to everything. And then when we moved to Carrollton, actually, I remember that was a big split because he was a huge Beatles fan and I became a Stones fan. So we would, you know, glare at each other when the other one had control of the stereo. And uh, I was trying to be like Keith. I had glasses, so I got blue glasses and that kind of thing, you know. He was trying to be like Paul. He would suck in his cheeks and smile. (laughs) Having grown fascinated with Atlanta during his teenage years, Harper would relocate to the city shortly following his graduation from high school. When I was in Noonan, I had jobs all the time and felt like I didn't get enough days off. So every Monday, regardless, this was before I was 16, I would take the day off and I would go to the bus station. The Greyhound bus station used to be in downtown Noonan. And it was $4.12. The guy was a, was a one round trip to the city of bright lights. And I would take the Greyhound bus to downtown Atlanta. The Greyhound station was in a different place. It was a cool old building and uh, on International. And I used to just walk all day long through Atlanta and all the seedy places, all the cool places, wherever, just by myself. So I was maybe 14 or 15. I would go to bars. It was 18 to drink then and nobody cared. And uh, so I would go to bars and I was a 14 year old daytime drinker and uh, wandering around. I'd go to Franco's pizza every time I, every Monday because It was sort of like a New York style pizza. It was the first one. I ended up working there and I ended up uh, meeting my business partner there. But anyway, I skipped every Monday and then I just started skipping every day. Or I'd go into Noonan High School and the kids that were signing in late, they would have a line. But on the same form, you could sign out. And so I would get in line with the kids signing in late and then sign myself out. And I went to work. Uh, like cutting grass and stuff. So eventually in my senior year, I was a pretty smart kid, I guess. And uh, they came to me and they said that I had enough credits to graduate in January. And I didn't really give a shit about being, I guess I figured I needed to graduate high school, but 
I wasn't that, you know, I wasn't that gung-ho on making my mark as an academic. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I graduated in January of 77, I think. Then I went to work full-time. I became a chauffeur, and the dude that uh, I chauffeured for would go to Atlanta every day. So that was more and more exposure to Atlanta. He owned a paint company, but he was also sort of a sleazy guy. And uh, so we would go around. Atlanta was like a little bit more of a, an intriguing place to be. There was It was hippie times, kind of hippies going into disco, but also a lot of artistic shit going on that was inspiring to me so uh by 1977 i just moved to moved to atlanta i went to georgia tech for one quarter got a job at franco's pizza then messed around with college a little bit but really i knew at that point that uh i was gonna try to go into the restaurant business i mean i didn't really see myself being a captain of industry so i tried to uh to figure out you know pizza place is what I wanted to do. And my business partner worked there as well. We were both just teenagers. And uh, and we sort of, between getting high and making pizzas, we figured it out. By the late 70s and into the early 80s, Atlanta's musical community had fostered an active underground rock scene that would be comparatively different from that of Georgia's other significant scene concurrently happening an hour and a half away in Athens. Having gradually become involved in the Atlanta scene, Harper would eventually go on to form the Coolies in 1986. I mean, Athens definitely feels more like huggy, art school wave kind of thing, you know, where they stand back and wave at you. And, and uh, Atlanta feels more like, like a sideways stare. When I was a kid, that was the restraints for the big punk band, and that guy killed his girlfriend, and there was... There was always some sort of weird shit going on, but that was like in the 80s. And Athens, it seems like, I mean, if you start with B-52s or Pylon or something like that, those are all sort of upbeat, happier situation. I think of Atlanta and I think of people that have, have, have made a mark in my life, like the swimming pool cues and stuff like that. And uh, the brains... The Georgia Satellites, those kind of bands from back when I was really going to see a lot of bands, they actually had a, just a harder edge. Even even the Brains, which was you know kind of a synth pop band, but still, like that bass player in the Brains was a dangerous dude. Rick Price was a dangerous dude. You know, in, in Athens, everybody was just like a little bit of a huckster. And R.E.M. was coming up, that was just sort of like aloof art student type dude. I had messed around with this cat named Monty. I don't have any idea his last name or what happened to him. We were going to do a punk band at the very beginning, like in the late 70s, I guess. And then I just got involved in working all the time, but love music, love music. Then we opened Fellini's in 1982. And so I was 22 years old. WRAS was... That was the radio station if you wanted to hear independent music or or punk music or anything like that. And uh, and R.E.K. was pretty good, too, but uh, R.A.S. was the one. And we had a little turntable there. 
there was Fantasyland Records was down at the end of the of the strip. So we would just play music all day long, a lot of local music. There wasn't sort of a music restaurant kind of a music oriented restaurant or a punk rock pizza place or whatever. There wasn't anything like that around. And uh, so eventually we started getting a lot of musicians and artists and stuff coming in. And then it just became kind of like everybody's doing it. So you do it. We had a lot of musicians work there. So it was like, what do you want? You want to try this? You want to try that? And uh, so that's how that happened. I was a big Simon and Garfunkel fan, and I thought, wow, these songs would sound good punk. And of course, I admired the writing, and so um, it just sort of started out as kind of a joke, like most everything, and then it kind of moved from there. of a small a small pond but we became sort of medium-sized fish in a small pond and uh, traveled around and it kind of captures you you know you want to do it especially back then I, uh, and when you find your creative outlet like that you don't want to let it go the coolies would release two records with a legendary atlanta-based independent label db records before disbanding in 1989 a few years later Harper would form the band Ottoman Empire, which would include his brother Mark, as well as former Cooley's bandmate Rob Gale. The band would release their debut full-length, Leicester Square, in 1993, and it is following the band's final album, 1995's Ottoman Gold, that Harper would make his first solo record, working with Stiff Records alumnus Reckless Eric to produce 1997's East of Easter. On that record with Eric, we were in Austin doing South by Southwest. And I had all these lyrics down and we were staying in a hotel and like in three days, we had all the songs written. And we came back and, uh, and just started recording. And uh, it's kind of a magical little moment there. The rhythm section is Charles Wolf, who was in the brains and Mark Richardson, who 
was a great engineer, did Smashing Pumpkins and stuff. And then Eric plays guitar, Tom Gray from The Brains plays on it. It's a tough record to find, but it's worth finding. I know you can see it every now and then. It came out on, like, a label. I forget who, what the hell. It's the same whoop, there it is, guys. But they had a uh, altered, was what it was called, sort of an alternative label. And then they went out of business, so they probably did 20,000 of them and threw them all away. In the years following the release of East of Easter, Harper would be involved with a number of other musical projects, but would spend this period primarily focused on his family and restaurant business. It would be over a decade before he would put out another solo record, releasing Old Airport Road in the spring of 2013 through the Atlanta-based independent label Terminus Records. In 2018, Harper would release his third solo record, Bleak Beauty, a collection of songs dealing with the loss of his partner of 20 years, who had passed away in 2016. while working on Bleak Beauty that Harper would also begin to compose some of the tracks that would make up his next record. And as their lyrical content began to take shape, an underlining theme of home with references to the places of his past would begin to emerge. It's what I was thinking about at the time. It was like, where am I going to live? Where have I lived? What the fuck happened? That's it, you know, the, the first song, Third Yard Street, the birds and the chickens sing a song so sweet, the sun shines down. I'm painting a picture of uh, Carrollton, Georgia right there. It's just sort of a lonely, hot, shitty, <laughs> you know, kind of, I think it's almost uniquely American experience there, you know? And to me, that was where my head was at. It was like, where am I going to live? What's, what's the reality of these places? And, uh, you know, to, to get kind of heavy is like, why can't I be happy? Why can, uh, I don't know how to really express it, but it's almost like, why am I depending so much on the locale and what's going on around me to shape who I am? But that's what it is, man. It's about trying to find a home and, uh, you know, I'm afraid that it's still sort of in the same. I'm still dealing with the subject matter. Sessions for Dirt Yard Street would take place at Harper's home studio, located in the Virginia Highlands area of Atlanta. I've got an old house that was built by the same architect that did Emory and Callenwald. It's from 1898, but it's a duplex. 
I live upstairs and I have a recording studio downstairs. It's not a computer driven studio. It's more of an old school thing. I've got an analog console. You, you kind of have to be digital these days because tape is just not practical. You can't find it. It's really expensive. It's not good quality. So I use this thing that came out when digital just, just sort of made the scene and all these Nashville cats were using it called a radar because it operates exactly like a tape machine, but it's a really, you know, good quality. Daniel Lenoir uses radar. So I don't have a screen. It's, it's just like the old days, really. I've got, you know, a very, very simple setup. Like I have one reverb, a few compressors, radar, and a, and a, and a good console. It records on a hard drive. It, to me, it's the best. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's current, but mine isn't. Like, Brendan O'Brien gave me one that they gave him. You know, they were really trying to make them happen, so they, they gave them to hot producers. I got one from Brendan for free, and I have another one I bought for, like, not much money that used to belong to, who's the cat that married Janet Jackson? I got Jermaine Dupree's and Brendan O'Brien's radar machines. That's it. I use a digital reverb called a PCM60. It's like one of the original ones. And uh, I keep everything as simple as I possibly can. And with that, he made a record. chicken sang the song so sweet the sun shines down burns the ground dirt yard street I believe in my soul 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 I fell so far behind I wound up alone Lost in time, lost in line, looking for home. Dirt Yard Street opens with its title track, featuring the late Tom Gray of the Atlanta New Wave band The Brains on both Dulcimer and Dobro. The track's skeletal arrangement creates the ideal space for Harper's lyrics and vocal performance. And though this track's musical backing is not necessarily indicative of the type of instrumentation that's to follow, the embrace of sparseness and vulnerability, as well as the evocative imagery of a very specific type of American South, definitely are. I like the vision of the sun, like especially in Atlanta these days, and the sun shines on broken glass, 
and because uh, somebody's car's got broken into or something, and it's just like, hmm, this reminds me of like July and Carrollton, July and Noonan, July in the South. You know, it's not a Real Housewives of Atlanta South, but South. And in the end, it's kind of a, you know, I can do it. <laughs> you know, I believe in my soul. I believe in my soul. I do. And um, that I can uh, say the word win or triumph or anything like that. But I can survive this. I can make it. I can play guitar a little bit, you know what I mean? I can find the chords I'm looking for on a guitar, but uh, but there's no way I'm ever going to record or perform playing guitar because there's so many great people out there uh, and people that do exactly what I want to hear that I could never do. All right, so like uh, on Dirt Yard Street, I, I, that that's just easy. I, I think, it, what is it, just D and G or something like that, but... Uh, I had that down. I had the vocal melody. I had the chords I wanted. And sometimes these musicians, I am lucky enough to be friends with and to to play with really gifted musicians who are often bored with uh, my chord structure or chord arrangements and stuff. But then they get into it. And I say that really talented people playing really simple songs just sounds different, feels different. So with that one, I just got Tom Gray over and uh, showed him what I wanted, and he understood it because we worked together really well. And uh, that was a hard song to record because it was so quiet. You know what I mean? Uh, that that dulcimer was acoustic dulcimer, and Tom just sat there. You know, poor Tom passed away recently, but um, he just sat there on on the couch with a <laughs> with a thing right there next to him. And I think I might have whispered the lyrics while he played. I'm not sure, you know, but it was a real sort of organically recorded thing. And um, I really love that song. I wanted to explore space. And I think that's a really important part of what I do. And I want to keep moving in that direction because I feel like I want people to hear what I have to say. It's a bit... You know, I guess it sounds egotistical or something, but I work very hard on the words and I want them to be featured and listened to. I also think that my voice sounds better without a lot around it. And uh, because I'm just not, I, I, I don't think I'm a bad singer, but I don't hit the notes like other people hit them. So if you look at music as a field, and you've got a little channel to put your vocal in, I can't do that, really. And so I'm fighting with the other instruments, and it just doesn't work. But if I give myself a lot of room, I sound the way I want to sound, you know, and the, and the songs sound the way I want them to sound. In a hotel bar 
On the downtrodden yet hopeful, a poem on a pillow, Harper employs saxophone and guitar to augment the foundation of gospel-style piano. The intimacy within the track's atmosphere is further enhanced by the subtle presence of a consistent hum that permeates throughout the entire record, acting as a sort of connective tissue between the songs. I cannot stand digital silence. I wouldn't let any happen there. You know, eventually you have to get it mastered, and sometimes it's tough to sort of express your, your nuances to somebody who does this shit for a living. But I was lucky enough to uh, have Chris Griffin, a really good guy. He's the sound man for driving and crying. And he's an old friend, so I can tell him, you know, and I can make him do it again. <laughs> you know, so, so anyway, even though that record's kind of song, 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 I still think it tells a story, and I don't want that story interrupted by some sort of weird, awkward digital silence, you know. I want it to feel real and organic. That song, Poem on a Pillow, I like that song. It's another sort of like home and family or sort of equal on this record and this is like you know you can be my family I can be your home it was more just trying to trying to find those things you know what I mean it's like and I'm a child star in a, in a, in a hotel bar it's like well that's fucked up that's a that's um that's kind of a picture of of somebody who who had it all and now has nothing and is and is looking for just the very basics of happiness. Fontaine, and he's a really gifted jazz saxophone player, and uh, we've worked together quite a bit, and I understand each other. He's just phenomenal. And a guy named Keith Joyner plays guitar on that. He used to be from Atlanta. He lives in L.A. now, but he's just a friend that passes through town, and he's so fantastic that uh, when I hear that he's coming, I try to have something for him to play on. You can be my family. I could be your home You could be my family I could be your
baby Everything is free Oh baby Oh baby You don't have to steal from me The track Life on a Window Sill, with its delicate dreamlike interplay between upright bass and piano, provided here by Jordan Diane and Chris Case, is music tailor made for an early morning drive. Pictures of trees, and I try to understand. What am I looking at? Why is this powerful? I had a thought. But it's gone I had a thought But it's gone Pimps in the doorway Smoke ash and black tobacco Muscle car melodies Long lines of listless And the world walking by The world walking by It's not the trees It's not the trees It's not the trees It's the light on the leaves Chris and I worked together on um, Old Airport Road, and uh, but I always have known about the guy. And when we did a couple of tracks on that record, I knew he was my man, and uh, I really courted him. <laughs> I, I, he, he didn't return a bunch of calls, and I just kept trying. And he's a sweet guy, and he's really my partner on, on music now. We become really close, and I just love working with him, and he's tremendously talented. That was a much simpler tune when uh, when I started with it, and the bass player is Jordan Diane. He's really gifted and a real jazz dude, and he and Chris worked like I was telling them what I wanted, and they said, mm, "Let's try this, let's try this, let's try this," and uh, those two just have some sort of silent communication and uh, they came up with that and, the, and just played it so beautifully so it's been six years since my wife passed and uh, I don't know man I, I, I was trying to establish a new normal and I always have had a partner really and um, 
I've been alone for two years and I met a French lady. I was trying to move to Paris, really. And she was a photographer and she was very French. And uh, well, she's half American, but she was born in Paris and she was very creative, very smart, very judgmental, very condescending. <laughs> anyway, so she'd show me a picture and, you know, every question was designed to point out a flaw. She's showing me a picture of, of trees and she said, what's important about this picture? And I said, well, I guess the fucking trees, man. And then she said, no, no, it's the light on the leaves. And that sort of just stuck with me, you know what I mean? And I said, hmm, that's a, I don't know. It just says so much more than, uh, than, than what it said, you know what I mean? Than the literal translation. It's the light on the leaves that just sort of opens the door to a lot of personal philosophy, you know? Following Life on a Windowsill is the cinematic spoken word piece, A Car I Remember, Dirty Hands. Sweet black girl smile Carrying rape and heroin with sunshine and sad songs I saw her last night in a car I remember You leave that pistol at home She said, no man, never She said, I'm guessing you've heard I said, yeah, baby, I know. She said, I would like to leave, but where would I go? baby was blind his life was darkness and shadows all his life a working man all his life with dirty hands but he was a good man he was a good man that did some bad things and I ain't done much in this world but sometimes sometimes I made that sad man happy I love the words on that. I'm not sure I like the finished product that much. I mean, I kind of do, but I, I wanted to be like Steve Allen and Jack Kerouac. If you've ever seen those two, he like Steve Allen plays piano and Jack Kerouac sort of does his poetry or readings to that. And it's pretty effective. And I just thought, yeah, I'd like to try that. And I think that the, the content is good. I like all his life a working man, all his life with dirty hands. I mean, that fucking rings true to me because I worked in factories and stuff. And I like, I saw her last night in a car. I remember that's Noonan, Georgia. That's a red Ford Pinto that my friend had. It kind of brings up a lot of, a lot of imagery that I can directly relate to. Uh, I ain't done much in this world. Sometimes I made that sad man happy. I think that's, very telling, you know, it's a pretty personal line. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so that's what that's about. But if you listen to the Jack Kerouac, Steve Allen stuff, you'll get the basis for the track itself. And the words are just poetry. I don't know. Somehow the shit gets paid. All the mail comes to neighbor. The yard house, they're all the same. Says, hey man, can you do me a favor? Can you carry me down? The centerpiece of Dirt Yard Street is the melancholic All the Mail Comes to Neighbors. Accompanied by only piano and violin, the track's understated arrangement allows the emphasis to be on Harper's heartfelt vocal performance and in turn highlights his gift for both words and melody. I don't know it yet. I whisper in your hair and say, Baby, we're just a breath away. You take my hand, lean back against me hard. Look at me with eyes of yes, brighter than the CVS. The music played, they'd swipe your debit card. That one's heartbreaking to me. Um... But yeah, I love that song. It's um, it's really personal, man. It's a, I don't feel that way all the time, but it feels like there's a mystery to my life of how my bills get paid. Even when I fill up a gas and I just go, fuck, who's paying for this? And of course, it's all, you know, organized properly and all that, but it's just like, I don't know. Somehow the shit gets paid, and uh, that's as far as I can take it, really. You know, I don't want to dig that much deeper. I've got people that pay my bills, and that's how it happens, you know. And Dirt Yard House is, is, is Noonan, Georgia. It's, they're all the same. You know, it's just Noonan, Carrollton, just like typical, unglamorous condition. I mean, all that stuff is really personal, really happened to me. But really what it's about is recovery. You're going through a pointless, or even your whole existence can be relatively pointless, but you work the steps, you hold on. You Suicide is alluded to. Got a gun, I call my friend, and a drawer full of business cards. That's a very sad picture. I whisper in your hair and say, baby, we're just a breath away. That's sort of like, a memory of a good time and then at the end it's I whisper in the air and say baby I'm just a breath away so that's more of an allusion towards suicide and uh, it's just a, a, a sad song it, it, I think it effectively paints a picture of hopeless desperation In my mind, it's you and me. In my heart, it's you and me. We're in the backyard getting married. We're in the backyard getting married. Yeah, Anna Balka, she's a very gifted musician. 
had the song there and I said, I want to play you something and I'll play you a few things. And, you know, she didn't comment on a couple of them and she goes, I can do something on this one. And within a few minutes, I mean, it took a little while because she wasn't quite getting it at the beginning, but then she locked right into what I was hoping for and just did a beautiful job. She was in the original Ottoman Empire 30 years ago. She moved all over the country. She was like a real free spirit when she was young. And she's still pretty young, but um, she made it back through Atlanta for a little while. And uh, I was lucky enough to reconnect with her and get her to play on some stuff. As we near the end of the record, we get the subdued yet dynamic number, Maybe I'll Be There. I'm cold. I'm cold. I can't call you back because I'm frozen. I'm gone. myself going I don't care if I win or I lose I feel overdrawn like the warmth of the sun or a murderer's gun are really gifted musicians doing what they do you know that makes them special and I just get out of the way on that shit but uh, I had the words and I had the melody and then Jordan and Chris sort of worked with that and made it what it is once again it sort of paints a picture I mean in, in my case a friend of mine was calling me and I know this person cares about me and just wanted to check in with me, really, but I just couldn't answer the phone, and I couldn't call him back, and it's just like, and I can't, man, I'm just frozen, and uh, that's where that comes from, and it's also sort of people invite me places that I never go, <laughs> and then maybe I'll be there, but I know I ain't going. I remember Brendan O'Brien, you know, we're pretty good friends, and uh, he would always invite me 
places? And I would say, no. And he goes, you know what you are? You're a no. You're, you're, and so I thought, well, fuck, I don't want to be a no. So I'll be a maybe and then just not show up. penultimate track, Come to My House, which was co-written with Driving and Crying's Kevin Kenny, is a song in which subtlety and chaos coexist, and acts as an example of Harper's skills as a producer. love that one it's um did it with kevin kinney i think we wrote it together and uh and it was just a simple like i had i i had those chords i had a piece come to my house and it's just sort of like i really he loved it he said he wanted to record it i really wanted him to but uh he ended up not doing it but i ended up doing it before he did not do it so it didn't matter i guess that's just me and my brother, Mark. And he played the little synthesizer and the guitar and the little bing bell things. It's a really simple 20 minute recording job. But um, underneath it, I've forgotten the guy's name, but the French lady that I was involved with, Kami, she's thanked on the record. She had sent me that. And uh, it's a, was a artist, poet, from the 50s I can't remember his name but he did these weird crazy recordings and she's a real avant-garde artist this lady and uh, she sent it to me and it's called I Love You and it's just crazy it's a guy just going I love you I love you and then screaming and uh, I thought that's got to go underneath it somehow and it just fit like a glove I got Chris to do it and I said okay that's it and I think it really makes the song, you know, it makes it, it makes it much more striking. And, and, uh, and my words are simple, but they're just a plea for comfort, really. And uh, there you have it. Oh, when the walls closing, then on you at night. Frozen, you lie awake until the morning light. 
Somewhere There's a Fire Waiting is a stark banjo-driven number that resists the desperation and despair that pervades much of the record and instead ends the album by embracing a sense of sweetness and hope. I don't say a song that I always intended to be the last song and sort of produced it that way but um yeah I mean it's a straight up love song and I wanted it to have like a front porch feel and Rick Taylor is a gifted banjo player and Anna again it's just a very sweet song and I love the the imagery of it I like a thousand stars and you're like touching mine just feels like an intimate moment you know and I, I think of it a bit like a Mike Lee movie, you know, where, where the protagonists are always, always struggling, you know, to, to find happiness or to find success on some level. And, and they, they never give up, even, and, but they never quite achieve it either, even if the sights they set for themselves are relatively low. But that's a good one. I mean, it's just like a quiet moment of being next to somebody you love. That's what that song's about. Somewhere there's a fire waiting Just close out on the line There's birds singing and music playing A thousand stars in your leg touching mine I don't say But I know you know I don't say I don't say I don't say it But I know you know For the album art, Harper would use a photograph of the house in Carrollton that he and his family lived in when they first moved to Georgia. Yeah, I, I found the house that uh, that we moved to when I first moved from Philadelphia and uh, I asked a guy if I could take a picture of it it looked pretty close to the same it was like crack the door a quarter of an inch what do you want and I said I used to live here as a kid can I take a few pictures of the house and then it was like yes and slammed you know shut the door and uh, that was it you know that was pretty much it I mean it brought back tons of memories I used to back my mom's car all the way up that road and come flying down it telling her I was practicing driving just being there in Carrollton at that little place kind of captures the whole record. (laughs) The river flows directly from that house. Harper would self-release Dirt Yard Street in October of 2020. An exclusive LP edition of the album 
would be sold at Atlanta Institution's Wax and Facts in Wook Street Records, where, if you happen to be in the right place at the right time, and were also purchasing a Kinks record, you could possibly get the album for free. In a way, this really speaks to Harper's ambitions as an artist, where the focus is not necessarily on the financial rewards. And because of this, he's able to continue his artistic pursuits, creating the type of records that in the end, he can be proud of having made. Uh, these things are works of art, you know, and uh, primarily that's how I, I want people to see them and I want it to be appreciated. But more than that, I just want to create it. So that's basically it. I really appreciate, you know, that people have listened to it. And uh, that's it, really. You know, there's no, I don't think I'm going to be a rock star. I don't think I'm going to be, if I can get a gig now and then, maybe I want to do it, you know. But, um, but really, it's just about being an artist and creating art. I listen to it about every, you know, maybe every three or four months or something like that. I'll say, well, let's see how that sounds. Because part of it is, a, is like, how did I do as a producer? How does it sound? And I really think it sounds good. And I think the songs are good. I really like it. There's plenty of records in my past that I said, oh, God, what the fuck? And how embarrassing is this? I hope people forget about it. I always am okay with my words, but sometimes the production, when it's not me, I mean, that's the biggest motivation to produce your own record is to listen one that you didn't produce. So I really like the record. I think it's good. Bleak Beauty got a lot more of a, I wouldn't say reception, but I think it, it startled people. So I think this is in the shadow of that a little bit, but I'm very proud of it and I did what I wanted to do. Thanks for listening to In Loving Recollection. A very special thanks to Clay Harper for speaking with me about this very special record. You can stream and buy Dirt Yard Street and more from Harper on the various streaming platforms or at clayharper.bandcamp.com. Seek this stuff out. It'll make you a better person. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter or at inlovingrecollection.com. We'll see you next time. We'll get through this.